0: Hey, everybody, this is Phil Town.
1: And this is Danielle Town.
0: Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are actively learning to be active investors. Actively learning to be active investors.
1: We're learning to be active investors?
0: Yeah, because there's passive investors and there's active investors. Oh. And we're active investors.
1: I was going to say, that's news to me. I thought we were like on the side of do nothing.
0: Well, we are. So we're very... Lethargic active investors.
1: <laughs> we're lazy active investors. We are.
0: <laughs> so we mostly do nothing in our act, active uh, activity-ness. And, um, and then when we, when we do something, though, we do it a lot. Yeah. We get aggressive. True. So we're also passive-aggressive investors. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're active aggressive investing. So know.
1: passive. There's all these like industry terms that people are just sort of supposed to know, and none of us know. that None of us being like the non financial people. None of us know them. What's this passive thing? Does that just mean like buying a fund or an yeah. index, and then yeah, you yeah, that's sort what that of, means. It means you, you're not you're not, to choosing, me too.
0: you're not choosing to be involved, other than just picking the fund, and then let somebody else go do it.
1: That's okay. called passive
0: investing. And that's what's highly recommended. Last week we were talking about that, about how important it is to be a passive investor if you're not going to be a knowledgeable investor, because active investing requires knowledge or you're going to be very afraid of what you're doing. All so right. I guess I
1: can accept that. I do feel yeah. like even make, I guess by buying the U.S. index if you know, or the index of whatever country you live in, uh, I guess that's pretty passive all right
0: well, i want to I want to talk about um this little book that i I was sent by a one of our one of our students.
1: I do too. But before yeah. that,
0: oh, before that,
1: can I give you feedback on our episode last week?
0: Only if it's good,
1: <laughs> you know I'm going to tell you whatever it is. so last week, we talked about. Um, A a question that a friend of mine had, which was that she has a baby and she has a little bit of extra money and she wanted to put the money into some sort of investment for her baby so that when 20, 25, 30 years, he's got, hopefully, a good, decent nest egg out of this money that she invested for him uh, for the long term, for the very long term. And so... I didn't really know what to say. I had some ideas. So we talked about it last week. Go listen to that episode uh, if you haven't already. So our basic advice to boil it down was buy the U.S. Stock Market Index. She's American. So buy the U.S. Stock Market Index because, and essentially the S&P, right, Dad? The SPY? Right. SPY. And um, because then you don't have to think about it. You don't have to choose any companies. But... You could buy it now when it's at one of the highest levels it's been in recorded stock market history, or you could wait for the crash or, or a recession or, you know, some kind of correction in this market and then buy in, uh, at a lower price. Right. But you were saying that for somebody who's like not versed in this stuff, you would say, just do it now, maybe put in a little bit more when the market crashes and just like, don't even think about it. And, you know, you basically, I think you said something like, she'll end, if she has $2,000, she'll end up maybe with like $4,000 <laughs> if she buys yeah. at a really high level. <laughs> yeah, ballpark. <laughs> so she texted me and she said, I don't want to end up with $4,000. <laughs> That's <laughs> basically BS. She used other words. So I'm going to quote She said, I am totally going to wait for the recession. And I wanted to tell your dad, I can handle the emotions. Three (laughs) exclamation points. I'm a tough cookie. Three exclamation points.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that I'm sure she is.
1: So I talked to her about it on the phone. Uh, She texted me that. And then I talked to her and she was like, I can do this. I'm going to wait. It's going to be fine. I'm so excited. I looked up Berkshire Hathaway. I didn't know what it was. It cost $300,000 for a share. She was like, what the heck are you guys talking about? (laughs) I said, there's two classes of stock. Uh, One is many hundreds of thousands and the other one is 200 bucks right now. Right, so one, it was
0: cool one fifteen hundredth <laughs> of the of the big expensive one.
1: Yes, but it was cool because she's like into it and she's excited and she feels totally comfortable with waiting. And you know, the main thing, the problem with waiting, as we all know, is that you're so tempted to spend the money on something else. So she actually really smartly already thought about that natural emotion and said, "I'm going to put the money actually already in." A broker, like I'm going to make a brokerage account and I'm going to put the money in that account and make sure that it's just sitting there and I basically just forget about it so that I can't accidentally spend it on a vacation or on something else. And then and then it'll be there for when the market crashes. So I thought that was really smart.
0: That is really good. And I, I think that she's, because she's a tough cookie,
1: <laughs> she'll
0: be able to control her emotions for her son and do the right thing, which is, I think, hard to do, actually. But, I mean, it's it's hard to do emotionally, is to sit out a rising market. It really is hard to do that. And I said to we... her,
1: you might have to wait four to six years. And she said, I know. She was like, I'm ready.
0: Cool. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Because, And here's the thing that I think people don't understand about that, is that... <clears throat> If you wait a long time, let's say you wait five years and you don't do anything, your money's invested maybe in a money market fund, right? Like,
1: yeah, that's maybe
0: a, she, a government bond fund that gets two and a half percent right now or something yeah, like that. Yeah, she should
1: be able to find something she can put it in at least for a short yeah, time. Yeah, it's,
0: it's going to make something. And then, um, and, but essentially don't invest it in anything that's – don't be active about it. But then once the market does what the market inevitably does, and that's fluctuate down, goes down between 35 and 50%, when that happens, wonderful businesses are on sale. And if even if all you did was just buy the index at that point in time, you would still have an opportunity to make a very high rate of return. Like the last time, 2009, until just recently – the compounded annual rate of return in the market has, has been 13% plus dividends. So Since it's two thousand
1: nine. So meaning like probably <clears throat> starting from the bottom. Of right, the from the
0: bottom. Um, till now has produced a really good return. Like I think with dividends, it's ballpark about f- 15%, mm-hmm. which means you've doubled your money in five years and it's been 10 years. So you've doubled it twice. So in that case, her two thousand would become four thousand, and then eight thousand, right? If she just did the index at the next time around, Um, and that's happened multiple, multiple times. It's not just a one-off thing. It happened repeatedly in the seventies, and then again in eighty-seven, and then again in ninety-nine to two thousand one, and then again in two thousand seven. And so it's, it's a cycle that the business cycle goes through, and. It, alternately, if you picked 10 companies that were reasonably good companies using the strategies that we've essentially been taught by Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, you picked those 10 companies and buy those since uh, 2009. I, we actually did this experiment in a, in a class in Singapore that we did in 2009, and the result to, to date, not including dividends, is 32% a year compounded.
1: The result of what?
0: of that 10 stock portfolio that the oh, Singapore from students picked
1: 2009.
0: in June of 2009. And um, that result in a $100,000, this is bigger than her investment pile, but $100,000 invested then um, would have become $1.25 without dividends. And there were companies producing dividends. So it would have been more than that. Um, compared to the S and P 500, which that hundred thousand became three hundred thousand, so there's a, a vast difference in in, in in the willingness to wait. It really is huge what it can do for you.
1: Yeah, I yes, a hundred percent. I also really struggle with like back testing stuff because it's always
0: you. That wasn't a back test.
1: I know. Well, it is now because. <laughs>
0: Wait a second. No, it is it now. Was, it's no, not a No, 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 listen, test. listen. What?
1: So, yes, okay. at the time you were looking forward, it was not a back test in June of right. 2009 when you were sitting there in that class. Right. But, but what you're saying is looking at it now in 2019, looking back, if you had stayed with those investments until now, you would have gotten whatever you just said, something very high. Right. But – The problem that I have with that is that so many people are out of the market already because they're waiting for this crash and have been for several years and have missed this big run up that we've had in the last few years um, because we were all trying to time the market, essentially. And so it's like this terrible catch 22 where either you semi try to time the market and like get out and sit around and wait for years or you don't. And you stay in and you know that at some point those investment gains, which are unrealized, are going to drop and the numbers you just quoted are going to end up not being realized.
0: Well, that's a fair that's a fair criticism, actually. Um, and quite insightful. I'm impressed. That was quite good. I, I, um, well,
1: thank you. I don't really think it's insightful. I think it's like this is real life that everybody who is thinking about investing practice today is dealing with that question.
0: So. Well, I think that actually if you, were to, if you were to say real life on this set of stocks, um, then real life would have taken you out of BlackBerry, for example, which is one of the stocks on the list there's no way you're going to sit in that when the story changed as dramatically as it did uh, for that company, right? BlackBerry being the premier uh, business, what do you call it, uh, The PDA or something, right? The,
1: it was a phone. It was a phone, like, and I, yeah, what do you phone call it? Smart a smartphone. It was but, a smartphone. Yeah, smartphone. They still make them. It is a smartphone.
0: Right. But the iPhone wiped them out. Yes, and it, it was an obvious wipeout. And a lot of people got out of that stock. It wouldn't have been a, a real stretch to say, oh, okay, we made a mistake on this one. Or we didn't make a mistake, but the story changed dramatically with the advent of the iPhone. And so that one w- was the biggest drawdown on the whole portfolio. Mm-hmm. That was huge drawdown. Mm-hmm. If you got rid of just that one and then dumped stocks, dumped them all, let's say in 2015, you still would have done fantastic.
1: Yeah, totally. Still would have done well. I think that's the takeaway. You still would have done really think, well. Yeah, that's the takeaway. And away. you would be sitting here in 2019 just wanting to like shoot yourself for having sold all those right. stocks in 2015. Well, it's the
0: same problem. You <laughs> want to shoot yourself whenever you get out of stuff and it just keeps going up. I mean, that's, but you don't have a crystal ball. And, and, and so what Buffett and Munger do um, with their billions is just realize there's no way they can time it at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the keywords here are anymore. Warren used to time it like a maniac.
1: Hmm.
0: He was an absolute timer in this only in this sense. I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying he's a timer. Yeah. So let me just say, he's only timing it in the sense that when the stock price goes back up to its intrinsic value, he sold it and moved to other things. And that's all I would be advocating for here, as opposed to saying, oh, the market's super high, I'm going to get out of everything. Yeah, it's just what what's the value of that stock hmm. and then if if the indications are that the market's really peaking um be be a little more conservative about it you know be judicious and maybe exit near the intrinsic value but if you're not at intrinsic value don't worry about it you just buy more when the thing goes down that's that's probably the right way to do that
1: I wouldn't call that timing
0: okay let's not call it timing because that's a I call it I agree that's a valuing. Loaded term.
1: That's value. That's valuation, valuation. right?
0: But today, Warren and Charlie are basically in a position with hundreds of billions of dollars that doesn't allow them to do that anymore. And so they're making a moral positive out of a necessity. And that is, they can't unload Coca Cola
1: because if they did, it would just crash the stock.
0: Oh, it would crash the whole stock <laughs> Excuse me. massively, and they wouldn't be able to get back into it later. And then, in addition to all that, you have the tax problem of selling companies. They're they're taxed when they sell them, um, whereas many of the people who invest, like we do, are in Roth IRAs, they're IRAs, they're in 401ks that are self-directed, and they're not paying a tax penalty for getting out of something. Mm. And that's a huge advantage to avoid the taxation issues. Mm. Right. So well, bottom line is when we're little, we're going to be more aggressive. We're going to get out of stuff and we're going to move into other stuff. We got to. If
1: only we had some words of wisdom from Mr. Buffett himself. Ah,
0: so, yeah, I was given this book. <laughs> <clears throat> so a really cool uh, book called my Warren Buffett Bible. And it's, a, I think it's out of print. It was printed four years ago. Um, and it was an a, an edited book. Essentially what it is, is Warren Buffett quotes 284 quotes from the world's most successful investor. And it was edited, and I just want to give a shout out to this guy, Robert Block, whose father, uh, Henry Block, started H&R Block, oh. the accounting firm that does taxation. Uh-huh. And this guy has just said he's appreciated Warren so much all these years, um, and he wanted to thank him by just putting out his what he thought was his best insights.
1: So all it <clears throat> so, is is just quotes?
0: Yeah, it's just quotes. And by the way, on the back cover, Ben Stein blurbs the book, <laughs> which I thought was great. Was he said, ben "A shiny Stein. brilliant star of advice and insights from a genuinely great man Warren E Buffett. You cannot afford not to buy this book." Ben Ben Stein.
1: Ben Stein. I like Didn't that. he have a TV show like Ben Stein 20 years ago? Is <clears throat> Ben Stein
0: is the guy on Ferris Bueller?
1: Oh, he's Who's the teacher the, in Ferris to, Bueller. The
0: teacher in Ferris Bueller, going, <clears throat> anyone?
1: <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> anyone? And then he had this like TV show <laughs> that was a game show where he basically played that guy again.
0: Exactly, and he's actually an economist, and he's quite smart. Oh, <laughs> and he's, okay. And he gets on talk shows all I the time. I was like, why like, do like we care what
1: head. some actor thinks about Warren Buffett? Except, yay, him. Um,
0: yeah, Ben's Ben's really quite quite entertaining, and <laughs> and he's also a best-selling author. And then um, Ken Chenault, if I'm saying that right, also pronounced Ken Chenault. I don't know which one it is. Okay. It's got that C H E N A U L T, and I never figured out, and I've never heard anybody actually say well, it. Well, the French the, uh, would be Chenault. Okay, so Chenault, chairman and CEO of American Express. And he says, this collection will give you a sense of the incredible judgment, disarming sense of humor, and common sense perspectives behind one of the world's greatest investors. So I'm recommending this book to you guys. Go, go find it. It's, gonna, it's not going to do block any good because it's, it's done being printed.
1: Well, that's but not true because I ones. just looked it up when you showed it to me and they have it on Kindle on Amazon. So oh, there you go. Uh, it is possible you to get it. at least in Kindle.
0: Yeah, and he starts off. He starts off with a really cool quote. It says, "Someone's sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago."
1: I like that and one. That's
0: actually from Warren Buffett.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
0: and that's kind of cool. That's kind of what we're trying to do. Is we're we're trying to plant trees, right? For sure. Um, for ourselves, for our our own investing, is planting these little seeds hmm. that we hope will grow into these huge trees. That will provide shade for our family for generations. That's that's the idea here.
1: Yeah. Is
0: generational wealth. I love that. That starts with us. So I think that's a great, great place to start this book.
1: Exactly. And I love actually, you know, I've heard that quote a bunch, but for some reason, you know, it's funny how things sort of hit you differently at different times. You hear things that you didn't hear before. And what I just heard was that he's uh, the planting the tree thing. He's talking about gardening. He's talking about enjoying gardening in addition to the future growth of whatever it is you're actually planting. But then it's also the process of the planting itself, which is, of course, what I'm massively obsessed That's with. That's so
0: right on. I Honestly, you've really, you've really given me something there, Danielle, because I never really thought in terms of the practice of investing until you brought that out as a really important thing for you. And then I started to realize, man, that is so on the money. Like the sheer joy of the practice. And you can see that when you look at Charlie and Warren, and I, these guys are in my mind right now because we were out in Omaha, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at these guys, they're way up there, you know, late, late life, and they really like what they're doing. I mean, they love the practice of they investing. Do. Exactly. It just shines out of them. You know, they'll sit there all day and talk about this stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think they're like a little tired. I think they're, somebody sent me a great comment on Instagram that said like, I read the letter and it seemed like there wasn't the same kind of joy in it this year. And I kind of had the same impression. I agreed. But I didn't feel that when we were in Omaha. I felt like they were, like, excited to be there. (coughs) Munger was talking so much more than he's talked in other years. He was all over it. Everybody was talking about how much he was answering questions when he normally says nothing. And I think they're just, yeah, they're kind of like... The stuff they enjoy, they're doing, and the stuff they don't, they are just not doing. Like, they can do whatever they want in their lives. They're billionaires. If anybody can do whatever they want, it's them. And they're spending their time doing exactly what they've been doing for years and maybe that includes a little less focus on the shareholder letter (laughs) (laughs) a little less editing pain which i fully understand and a little bit more uh doing random fun deals like giving 10 billion for the anadarko deal so yeah i think they're just having fun with it and it's so nice to see
0: I, I think if there's any any kind of a, a a more subdued tone to this year's meeting it I think it's less about how old they are and more about how tough it is right now to do this kind of investing at the level they're doing it at I That's mean they a good point. they really do have to deal with all of these shareholders at Berkshire Hathaway who have many of them all of their money in Berkshire Hathaway and the responsibility of that is huge and I, th- I think they really feel it right now when it's the combination of the size of the company, uh, meaning that in, in order to buy a, a, an investment and to put money into an investment that would have any significant impact on the overall return of the whole company, it has to be humongous. Mm-hmm. The stuff they used to buy, mm-hmm. w- which there's a lot of which we can go out and purchase as small investors those things now if the if the if the investment doubled in a year it wouldn't even be a rounding error on berkshire's annual report so that's a really that really narrows down the world to a small number of deals and it's really hard right now to get any of those deals it's going to get easier yeah. but it's yeah. not easy now <clears throat> so
1: well to hmm. that end here's a quote that i found <clears throat> in the book to swim a fast 100 meters it's better to swim with the tide than to work on your stroke.
0: Which is what we're talking about <clears throat> right yeah. now. Because that, that that right now the tide is, let's say, which way is the tide going here? The tide is going out. <laughs>
1: if anybody can and tell us which the tide, way the tide's going, we would love to The tide
0: to know. is in and has been in for a long time. And all the boats are floating as high up on the dock as they Probably will ever get that's
1: so you think the tide is in. continuing to little, come in. Little,
0: little, no, I think it's in. <laughs> you know how, like, the tide comes all the way in and then it's there for a while. Yeah,
1: there's a little moment of, stasis. yeah, there's
0: stasis, and then it, then it, you start to notice it goes back out. So, if you're on a beach, like,
1: I don't know, Dad, I don't know if I think the tide might still be coming in.
0: And I tell you, I don't, I don't know, maybe. Maybe,
1: or maybe maybe stasis stays for a while. Maybe but isn't isn't
0: that I'm the whole gonna... point? Is that it's very difficult to know what direction the tide is going tomorrow, exactly. Right, and therefore we don't try to figure it out uh, per se. And so what I think he means is that you can't you can't really do it market wide, but you can sure as heck do it on individual companies. You can get a good sense of where their tide is going.
1: Oh, okay. And, I was going to say, tell me more about that. So individual companies, you're saying what, rather than like, I'm trying to figure out what the working on your stroke part of it is like, rather than working
0: on your stroke is to find the hard, it's it's another metaphor for uh, the, if this makes it easier, it's like thinking about, um, jumping over high bars on a track, right?
1: Right. It's like, don't choose the hard option, choose the easy option.
0: Right. And so what makes this thing, working on your stroke means to try to to get better and better at figuring out um, exactly what this company is worth and, you know, knowing the whole thing about the whole, this is what everybody does on Wall Street, right? They're hired out of business schools to do that kind of very difficult, you know, working on their stroke. Um, on every company in the market to know and have a strong opinion on the value of every company in the market. That's the job of analysts, right? And they split it up yes. into certain yes. sections of the market. So Buffett is just saying, well, yes. that's really hard. You, you know <laughs> It'd be better just to <laughs> go with go with a company that is already that tides already all the way out on this thing. <clears throat> Does that make sense?
1: And that's, yeah, that's clearly turning around. Yeah, I I mean, I do find it pretty amazing how much people know about companies, like analysts, other investors. It kind of blows my mind sometimes. Like people know the ins and outs of these companies. And it does make me think, like, am I not doing a good enough job at this? Like, am I not learning enough about exactly what their margins are like and I don't even know what else like how they (laughs) how they plan to do things in five years with like this tiny little choice that they made and and I don't know those things and so maybe I should
0: I I think you have to understand the company but I think you you don't have to know the you know you don't have to know everything about it that an analyst knows about it because you start to get lost in in the analysis. You get paralyzed, right? So, you know, what is it called? Paralysis by analysis? Where you know so much <laughs> about everything that you're lost. Uh, yeah. To use another metaphor, you're lost in the forest. You know, you've lost track of it for the trees. You can't track yeah. the forest. Yeah. And one of the real insights with uh, with Buffett and Munger is that idea that if you have a company that has an identifiable business franchise that is really strong, that protects its built-in protection against competition. If it's got something like that, then there's a lot of trees you don't have to know anything about. You've you've got a great forest there. That's true. Okay. And the second piece that Mm -hmm. is really important is that you've got a team of people who are running this thing who are talented at it. And that's a real, that's, that's, I think, where I would prefer you to spend your time than in the the deep analysis of, uh, you know, EBITDA or something.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So I, I've got another quote from the book that I think actually applies okay. to this. And it, it, it actually sounds a bit like it's contradicting what we're saying, but I think we'll, okay. we'll see. Here's the quote. When I buy a stock, I think of it in terms of buying a whole company, just as if I were buying the store down the street. If I were buying the store, I'd want to know all about it. Okay, but now listen to how he describes what knowing all about it means. Continue the quote. I mean, look at what Walt Disney was worth on the stock market in the first half of 1966. The price per share was $53, and this didn't look especially cheap. But on that basis, you could buy the whole company... For $80 million, when Snow White, Swiss Family Robinson, and some other cartoons, which had been written off the books, were worth that much. And then you had Disneyland and Walt Disney, a genius as a partner. There you go. So I find that really interesting because he says, if I were buying the store, I'd want to know all about it, right? Which is what we were just saying. You got to know all about it. And what does that like? What's the level of like all about it? And it feels very intimidating, but then he describes it as basically understand what you're buying. Understand that this company had these incredible assets in... These are movies, right? Snow White, Swiss Family Robinson. They were movies already in 66? Yeah. Or
0: Or um, a combination of movies and, uh, and cartoons.
1: Like TV right. cartoons? Okay. Um, and that they were worth $80 million just alone and didn't even include Disneyland. And then not to mention the guy who runs the whole thing and was the genius behind everything as a partner. So that's his version of knowing everything about the store. What, what does the store have and who's running it?
0: Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking at Disneyland and you wouldn't have a clue what Snow White's worth, then that one's too hard and it's got to go in the too hard box. (laughs) But if you were to go buy, um, go to look at buying a, let's say a furniture store in your town you know, maybe figuring out what the furniture was worth, that, that essentially the inventory of the company, right? The assets of the company. Figuring out what that stuff is worth might not be that hard. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's you've got to match your the level of difficulty of the company with what your sort of skill set is, what you know something about, and then figure out the value of the business from there. And and look at the combination of things that he's saying. He's saying essentially um, there is we didn't talk about it here, but there's a huge moat with Disney. They have this gigantic brand moat um, in the hearts and minds of of the entire United States, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, any family that doesn't take their child Mm -hmm. to Disneyland is like, you know, abusive. You gotta gotta go to Disneyland. So...
1: And yes, folks, my dad did take me to Disney World.
0: Yes, I did.
1: (laughs) It was the best. (laughs) It really
0: was. It was great to walk around there with your little kids on your hands. You know, it's so sweet. I was so excited. Yep. So sweet. So excited. So, um, yeah, you got to know the store. That's what you got to know, you guys. And some stores are easier to know than other stores. And Disneyland, that's that's not that easy of a store, but it's pretty easy for Buffett. Um, I've got friends of mine who are investing in Fiat Chrysler right now. And Fiat mm-hmm. Chrysler is now talking about making a, a merger with Renault in uh, in France. Mm-hmm. And my friends are basically saying, look, I can buy this whole company right now for about $22 billion. And it has Jeep, which is worth $25 billion all by itself. And then it also has Ram, all the Ram trucks, that's worth another big chunk, plus Maserati, another big chunk. Um, and then, and, and on that basis, they're saying, okay, so I'm all in. I'm, I'm coming into this company. But for me, I don't have a good sense of it. I don't... There's there's missing elements. I'm not sure I really understand the car business or that to the degree I do understand it, it scares me. And particularly mm-hmm. making a combination with a French car company with the way the unions work in France is like, wow, would, do I want to be in this business um, with the potential of all the conflict that's there? Right? And... Also, they're saying we need to do this deal with Renault in France because, you know, we have to be a big company in this world of of loser, you know, winner takes all and losers are gone. And what does that say about where this is going to be in 10 years? It says scary things to me. So I'm looking.
1: I think no one knows where car companies are going to be in
0: 10 years. And so I'm looking out 10 years and going, well, it's great that Jeep is worth 25 billion, but. I've been involved in companies where the management sells Jeep for 25 billion and buys Renault. Right? I don't get the 25 billion. These guys just take it and keep trying to build this huge thing and ultimately they end up with mm. a pile of debt and they fail. And then it's like, "Oh mm. man, what was I thinking?" And what what mm. you should be thinking in that point is like you didn't understand the business. You just thought it was a deal you could do and that the fact that it's 25 billion meant that was yours and it isn't. They they companies like that can chew up any amount of of equity. And that's what I've learned in, over over time. If you're a company with a lot of debt and they have a lot of debt, then be very careful because they may add more. I just
1: I'm glad that you're bringing that out cuz I've been obviously following that whole deal as well and it just I I mean exact same thoughts as you. Exactly it's just complicated. It could be a boondoggle. Yes. The stock is super cheap according to valuation metrics, mm-hmm. but do we know what's going to happen even in five years? No, I don't No, And,
0: and Walt the, Disney, the fact
1: that they're trying to get involved with Renault, which I don't know that much about Renault, but it's not the best car <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it cracks me up, and
1: that and that just kind of I was like, that company really like maybe I don't know. And here's the catch: it this, didn't impress the story me. is and true, the, and not that I have to be impressed, you know, but like maybe it is a great deal. And I think the guy who runs Fiat Chrysler, by the way, I mean Sergio Marchionne passed away and was replaced by Mike Manley, who used to run Jeep and essentially took Jeep from being a failing car brand to now doing extremely well. And um, I also know that his invest, his shareholder letter is filled with candor and honesty and clarity about what he wants to do with that company. So he is getting high marks on all of the management metrics that I look at.
0: I know. I'm really, Um, it's really, it's tearing at me because it really does have the potential to be a a huge return. And I'm impressed, obviously, that Monash Prabhai is deep in it and staying with it, even though he's up about 800% on the investment uh, to date because of the gigantic success of the spinoff of uh, of Ferrari. Um, hmm. that
1: Did you get that from his filings?
0: I, I think I got it from a friend of mine who got it from his filings. So okay. this is secondhand. I can't tell so you we for don't,
1: sure. we don't know if that's actually – I don't know if that's actually true.
0: Um, but let's, let's just stipulate that it might be true. And if it is, um, it's pretty impressive that he's hanging in there. And he's been publicly saying, Monash has been publicly saying that he thinks right now that you're buying Renault at a super, or a Fiat at a super cheap price. And um, that if they can stay on their business plan, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it'll be worth a, a lot, lot more down the road by 2022. And he's right. If they, if they produce the cash flow that they're expecting to... They will, but if they team up with Renault, who knows what'll happen? And with that little announcement, I'm not going to be surprised if if Monash isn't just like saying, "Okay, I'm taking mine off the table." You know, I take my winnings off the I table. I also
1: don't. I don't know if it'll go through. To be honest, I right. mean, it's as you said, it's quite complicated. These these sort of nationally involved car companies. Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. So let,
0: let me jump so on I another think, quote here. Actually, we let, let's do another one on the next time. Cause there's a really good one coming up on this. Um, and, um, uh, and I'll tell you what it is and then we'll jump into it next week. What do you say? Okay. Okay. Here it is. A great investment opportunity occurs when a marvelous business encounters a one-time huge, but solvable problem. Oh, Ooh, yeah. We call that an event, and we will <laughs> yeah, talk about yes, that a lot next time. <laughs> All right. All right. Until then.
1: Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. Bye. See ya.
0: Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to InvestedPodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.